Hey ladies and gents and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Dom. How's it going, Dom? Good evening, gentlemen. It's going very well. Jordan? How's it going, Jordan? Simple and clean is the way that good. you're making me feel tonight. <laughs> and, it's uh, hard to let it go. Uh, first time guest, Logan Moore. How's it going, Logan? Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. For those of you who don't know, I was actually on Logan's podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think it was about two weeks now. Um, Millennial Gamespeak. Uh, pretty cool pretty cool podcast. I was filling in for his uh, absent uh, partner in crime. So if you want to you know, take a listen to that, it was pretty fun. We talked for a good a good while about yeah. Scalebound and I forgot what else we covered. We covered uh, Avengers, the Square Enix Avengers game thing we talked about that and then there was something else news related that week that happened the switch too i know we talked about the switch for a little bit but yeah that was a good episode everybody should go check that out on itunes or soundcloud or wherever the heck it's posted youtube <laughs> yeah everywhere check it out everywhere um so yeah as we usually start this podcast talk about what we've been playing uh fable heroes been getting i always call it fable heroes i do not know why <laughs> fire emblem say, heroes i always say fable heroes it's just like the inner xbox game i want fable back man um so i've been playing fire emblem heroes a lot quite a bit i actually really enjoy the game we're gonna be talking about that later in the show but i've been playing it quite a bit probably the most time i've ever sunk into a mobile game i would say uh that's not like a like a cell phone mobile game not a like a handheld mobile um I've also been playing Nino Kuni. I'm about an hour and a half in. Ooh, I've talked about it in the past how Nino Kuni is a game I've always wanted to play. Um, I, I just love the art style and everything. Uh, I saw that there was a PlayStation sale and it was on sale for five bucks. I'm like, I can't. I have to buy it. It's five bucks, you know? Um, so I bought Nino Kuni. Uh, the sad thing is, I coun't, because the PlayStation account I used for my PS3, I, hadn't, I haven't used my PS3 in so long. Last time I used it was for Last of Us. I couldn't remember my login information, so unfortunately, I had to make a whole new PlayStation account. Um, so I had to make, I had to go through all of that, I had to dust off my PS3, take it out of my closet, connect it. Um, yeah, all Jared, of the hassle what about, of updating and everything. What about all your platinum trophies? I didn't have a single platinum trophy, luckily. <laughs> um, you realize what that is, though? That's an opportunity to change your name. I did, That's yeah. Huge. So I just. I uh, kept with the brand and I put Paragon Jared. I forgot what my old one even was. I couldn't get into it, but uh, so I, I definitely want to go back and play through The Last of Us just so I have those trophies and stuff there. Because the only trophies I had on it were Little Big Planet, Little Big Planet 2, um, Heavy Rain, and The Last of Us were the only games I played on my PS3. So um, I think Split Second, which was like a cool racing game that I had for the PS3, because I think when I bought the PS3, it was on sale on the shelf at a GameStop. So I was like, I'll pick that up too. I'll get that racing game, whatever. It was pretty fun. Anyways, um, so I've played about an hour and a half in Nino Kuni. Great game. I love the art style. I love the mixed in animations, uh, like literal like animated clips in it. Uh, it's really heartbreaking. <laughs> the beginning of that game is really sad. It's oh, like a gosh. Pixar movie. Yeah. Um, but I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm only an hour and a half in. It's a very long game. And uh, so I don't really have too many impressions other than like I like the combat. I like the art style. So I'm super 100% in. Um, the other thing I'm playing as well that I can't talk about specifically because I'm under NDA and it's un still an embargo is uh, Sniper Elite 4. Um, playing that. Uh, I'll have impressions on that next week when I can actually talk about it. It comes out next Tuesday as of recording this, the 13th. Um, so I'll definitely talk about that next week. 
Um, that's all I've been playing really outside of the normal stuff like Overwatches and Smites that I talk about every week. Might as well just leave those out. Um, that's pretty much it for me. What have you guys been playing? So, if you couldn't tell by the tune I was spraying at the beginning of the podcast, I've been playing quite a bit of Kingdom Hearts, and we'll be uh, delving into that a little more. Uh, later on, I've been playing Kingdom Hearts Unchained Unchained Chi, which is kind of a tongue twister, um, on mobile. Um, enjoying that a lot. Also playing, um, not Fable Heroes, but Fire Emblem Heroes <laughs> you got it right. on mobile as well, <laughs> yeah. Almost got me. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about both of those later on in the show. I'll leave that to the, uh, that part. And um, also been playing a bunch of Neo. Uh, came out just a couple days ago, so I haven't gotten too far into it. I'm probably five-ish hours. Um, definitely going to play some more tonight, but uh, enjoying it very much. Uh, simplest way to put it is Samurai Bloodborne. Um, and... You, you you guys know me. I love me some Bloodborne, so, and I love Samurai, so uh, Samurai Bloodborne definitely suits my fancy. Um, besides that, um, I feel like I played one other game. Well, I can't remember it, so, yeah, we'll go with Neo. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Dom, what have you been playing? <laughs> I had a light week this week, so more Child of Light. Um, I'm, I'm getting much farther into that. I'm got to, I've got to be at least halfway at this point. Um, I still love it. Like it's actually fantastic. Um, aside from that, I've also been playing Fire Emblem Heroes. I don't think I'm quite as in love with it as you are, Jared. Um, it's good, but you know, we'll 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 get into that deeper uh, later on. And I very briefly touched uh, Dishonored, uh, so I still haven't had a chance to actually get into that DLC. So I want to have that uh, finished up before I get hit with Horizon and Breath of the Wild in a few weeks here. Yeah, and then you'll have zero time for that, so yeah. RPG <laughs> City coming up in March, boy. Exactly. Jesus. Oh, um, yeah. Jared, I forgot mm-hmm. to ask. Um, had, did you see Split yet? Yeah, I, I've seen Split, yes. I don't and? Know. Oh, I liked it a lot, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's right. stay there because I think I'm going to see it tomorrow night alongside yeah. Oh, okay, Lego yeah. Batman. Let's not say anything then. Yeah, James McAvoy, fantastic actor. I like the movie a lot. I'll just leave it at that. No spoilers, no nothing. Yeah. Also, uh, the game I was thinking of was Gravity Rush 2. Played more Gravity Rush. Ooh. Um, Logan, tell us what you've been playing. We don't talk to you every week, so you can catch us up. Um, Yeah, so similar to Dom, I'm kind of in a holding pattern of sorts until that Horizon and Breath of the Wild combo hits in a couple weeks. But for some reason, I've decided to begin Final Fantasy 15, and I'm telling myself that I can knock that out in the next oh three weeks until uh, until Horizon comes out. So I'm, I dove into that probably two or three days ago. So I'm about – I was playing it before the show started. I'm probably like six hours in. It starts slow, and I was struggling to gather my footing early on. The combat's good. I like the combat, but the characters weren't really clicking with me, and – the world wasn't really clicking with me either, but the more time I put into it, the more of a groove I'm kind of starting to feel with the game, and I'm starting to get a little bit deeper into the RPG systems and things like that, and it's starting to feel good, and I'm actually really looking forward to ending this show as soon as possible and going to play it again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm probably going to stay up a lot tonight and just 
play more of that because I only have a couple weeks until everything else is out. Um, so that's the main thing I've been playing. I did play and finish Dishonored 2 last week, and um, I talked about this on the, the most recent episode of my podcast, but that game... I know that it is. It, I know that it's good, but it would not click with me. And I think that's something even you and I, Jared, talked about when you came yep. on my show. Like, there's these games that we know are good, but for some reason they just won't click with us. And that's how Dishonored Two was. Like, I enjoyed it, but it just still feels empty in so many ways to me, and I don't really know why. Um, and I have not been playing Fire Emblem Heroes, so that'll be an interesting <laughs> discussion for me to stay out of whenever you guys talk about that. But yeah, I just I don't know. Can't get into. Fire Emblem, I guess. Even though I've never given a shot, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least we're batting three for four for people calling it Fire Emblem Heroes, and I was the only idiot that called it Fable Heroes. I'd make that mistake. I've made that mistake like the last three podcasts, Logan. I don't know why, but for some reason, just a slip of the tongue, I just want Fable back. You reminded me that that game even existed. I, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> That's my job R. here. R.I.P. Yep. Um, Fable marketing and PR. So we're actually going to be hopping into the news here. Not too much news this week. A couple of interesting stories, however. Uh, by way of Polygon, Julie Alexander writes, Netflix is working on a Castlevania series. Um, for me, I think this is super cool. I'll get into the story shortly, but I'm not a huge Castlevania guy, but to me, these are steps in the right direction for what I personally want made. So if they're starting with Castlevania, that's awesome. Uh, Netflix is working on a new original series based on Konami's Castlevania franchise, the company announced today. The news is buried with a re- uh, within a pre- uh, press release sent out after an event for the network's upcoming slate of new series, which was held in New York City. Although Netflix didn't announce who would executive produce the Castlevania series, um, Adi Shankar is set to produce. Uh, he's from Dread, if you're not familiar. And this was confirmed on Facebook that he would be co-running the series. The first part of the uh, the first part of the first season is expected to be released this year. Acclaimed writer Warren Ellis, who did Transmetropolitan Iron Man, which I'm not familiar with, uh, has reportedly written the first season. So people are excited about that because he's a good writer. Um, Yeah, this is huge. I don't know if any of you guys are big Castlevania guys, but this is an animated series that Netflix is willing to pull the trigger on and put money into. It's a video game series, which I think is cool. Uh, Does this this get you excited uh, from a, a Castlevania fan perspective or maybe just the future of video game, like media i didn't know it was animated because uh they were saying it was going to be like super r-rated game of thrones style so i was surprised yeah it's, it's really interesting um logan do you have any ties to castlevania or, or does this you know netflix announcement make you excited at all um i'm excited to see what they do with it uh, honestly just purely from the standpoint of kind of like you said like it could be good for video games going forward and with other franchises besides castlevania um i'm not really a i wouldn't call myself a castlevania fan per se i have played symphony of the night and i think that's one of the best games probably ever um i played it for the first time i think two years ago and it was incredible to me how much it still held up um but yeah i wouldn't call myself like a fan of the series or anything so i don't really have any attachments to the lore and if it is going to be directly tied to the characters and the video games and stuff like that then i'll have no idea what's going on but i think the world and the character design and the world design of castlevania is really iconic and really cool and it's one of the more unique standout games and probably video game history purely from an aesthetic standpoint um but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see if they do anything else with it going forward, especially since I think it's kind of important to note that Castlevania is kind of dead. Like Konami has, is not yeah. doing anything with that property. So for them to obviously give over the rights to Netflix or whoever in some way to 
greenlight this show is really intriguing and I'm wondering what's going on over there at Konami. That was that was my observation that maybe this means that they have something in the pipeline for a game uh, coming up in the series to just kind of remind everyone, oh, you know, this is Castlevania, this exists. Uh, we want to get this back out there before they put a game out or something. Um, but then it also kind of reminds me of, if you guys remember then a while back, there was supposed to be a like, Zelda action Zelda yeah. Yeah, Netflix yeah. series. And that, thank God, never came to fruition. Um, I can't imagine it would have been. It probably would have just like ruined my childhood. Um, <laughs> or maybe it would have surprised me in bed good. But, but you know, I'm a lot like Logan. I I bought uh, Symph- the Symph- Symphony of the Night. Haven't played it for more than a few hours yet. So I have no real, no serious connection to the series. But um, I, it could be good for just video game series in general, I guess. I think this is uh, – there's more opportunity for success here than a video game movie, um, as we've seen with Assassin's Creed and Ratchet and & Clank and so on. So this could be cool going forward, uh, especially from the Netflix-style approach. Netflix seems to be all over this, uh, you know, kind of just funding shows and producing shows that might not have other – might not have existed otherwise, so – well, the interesting thing too is like they're just they're at a point where they have all of this money that they can invest in things and are just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, this reminds me a lot of um, DC and Warner Brothers in a sense of the movies aren't really hitting well, but DC animated movies are always so well done. Like obviously there's a few misses, but a lot of them are really well done. And I think it's just to make, dark. I think it's better to make or easier to make a better animated movie than it is a uh, live action. And yeah. I'm excited for this to be the, the future of video game, me, video games and other media moving forward as opposed to the big Assassin's Creed's and stuff like that, which there's a place for those. But I like this because there's quicker turnaround in these, uh, meaning that you'll have – and with a TV show as opposed to a movie, you're not, you're not strained for filling in uh, all, all this lore into an hour and a half, right? You have multiple episodes. There's some filler episodes, which if you're a fan of a video game, you're cool with filler because you just want to see more of that world. Um so I'm excited for where this takes video games next. Um, if even if you're not a fan of Castlevania, when this comes out, you should at least put this put you know put the numbers up there for Netflix and at least click on it to watch it. Just because if they see the numbers jump for this, this opens the floodgate for a lot of other properties you might be interested in. So definitely look out for that because uh, it's going to be interesting where this takes Netflix with video games. So I'm curious if. Netflix approached I mean I would I would assume they'd have to approach Konami in regards to like getting their hands on this franchise I'm curious if Netflix approached them or if Konami approached Netflix because if Netflix is the one going to game developers then I I think we're right and it could this could be indicative of something bigger going forward for video games potentially being TV shows or movies or whatever uh, directly on Netflix so I'm curious what that relationship has been like the other good thing I I, I will say about a TV show is I think it it makes writers less beholden to copy straight from the source material and maybe instead do something a little bit looser and a little bit more of their own I think so many times the reason video game movies suck is they feel like they have to copy the exact story from the video game and put that on the big screen and that doesn't translate well a lot of times but i think tv shows there's a lot more wiggle room to kind of do your own thing and i'm hoping that's the case with this well i think you have a pretty solid point there because um in an interview i read with shigeru miyamoto about uh the super mario brothers movie i don't know why i stumbled upon this article on the internet i just did he was interviewed and he was asked what he felt about the movie he said he didn't like it obviously who would like that movie it's a terrible movie but they asked him why do you, why he thinks the movie was so bad, and his reasoning was that it was too closely 
tied to the video games. He said it didn't try to be its own thing. It tried to be a video game movie and not a movie based on a video game, if that makes sense. And uh, he just felt that they could have taken it in its own direction, made it its own unique thing, and they focused too much on making it like the video game, that that's why it failed. So that's straight from the creator's mouth. So it's an interesting take on that. So. And that's the one good thing I have heard about the Assassin's Creed movie is that they didn't try to st- – they like some people were frustrated with how the Animus worked in that movie and that it wasn't Desmond and Altair and like all those – all this different stuff. But I've also heard people on the flip side like credit Ubisoft and whatever film company it was that made that movie. I've, I've heard a lot of people giving them credit for not feeling like they need to include all that stuff because it really is like you do back yourself into a corner, especially from a writer's perspective out of the gate. Like, okay, I'm going to write a movie, but I ha- it has to involve this, 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 and this. And that's really hard, hard to do. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And there's a difference between staying true to the source material and being the source material, you know, so you have to walk yeah. that fine line. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put this as hashtag Jared was correct. Um, no way related to another famous hashtag about somebody being correct about something. Um, this comes away of GameSpot. Uh, Eddie writes, South Park, the fractured, but whole delayed as Ubisoft teases very strong Nintendo switch games. Um, the first part of this article just talks about them, um, and their approach to the Nintendo switch and games coming out for it. That's not too interesting because there's not a lot of details there. Um, one big portion of this article that's interesting is Yves Guillemot uh, added during the call that Ubisoft won't release any new, uh, many new IP going forward and will instead focus on growing its existing brands, meaning we're probably going to just get sequels to things and we probably won't see a Division again, right? Though Division's Tom Clancy, so I don't know if that's technically considered new IP. Um, but the other part Steve of the the uh, other part of the story is as part of its newest earnings report, Ubisoft announced that South Park The Fractured But Whole has been delayed again. It is now slated to arrive sometime during Ubisoft's fiscal 2017-28 year, which translates between April 2017 and March 2018. So we could easily see this game pushed to next spring, which is huge because this game was originally slated for December 2016. Um, this is huge. This isn't surprising. Anybody familiar with the South Park games... Uh, knows that the first one was in tremendous turmoil. Uh, you know, the creators of South Park are very um, detail-oriented, and they wanted the game to reflect South Park as much as possible, and that game got delayed multiple times, and people were really excited this this game was coming out this spring, and I said over and over again, I wouldn't be surprised if it got delayed, and it did get delayed. Um, I, The problem I have, and I want to hear your guys' opinions on this, so this is delayed, and the earliest it can come out is April, which I doubt it will hit. You're thinking more fall-winter. I even think it's going to miss that, because if this game were to come out in the fall-winter, we see how games that aren't these major, major games and franchises do in the fall when they're up against the likes of these big boys, like Call of Duty and Destiny 2, which we'll talk about next. And I don't know if them having it in the fall or winter is smart. I don't know if they'll just push it to next spring. But uh, what's your guys' take on you know this game getting delayed again? Yeah, they, they could end up having to make that decision of, you know, releasing this in uh, October, November uh, or pushing it until the following spring. And knowing that, you know, they're going to get less sales if they release it uh, in the in the fall of this year. But maybe that's the right decision if the projections are, you know, not that different and they need it out now and they can't let it sit any longer. Um, but, yeah, this this does put them in a bit of a spot. I think right now their best case is if they're able to get it out this summer, you know, and I in a June or August kind of area. Um, but yeah, this is, I'm not really too surprised either. It's kind of a bummer, but uh, this year is just so jam packed with so many other games. I want to play that. I'm not 
super distraught over having to wait for this so yeah uh logan did you play the first uh south park game i did i played it i borrowed it from a friend actually it was one of those games that i didn't know if i wanted to drop 60 dollars on just because i'm not a huge south park guy but i know enough to appreciate the games and things like that um honestly i think that everybody's today has with this story about it getting delayed has been a little bit too much like the sky is falling because it's it was delayed technically it didn't have a release date really anyway and i think anybody with a brain knew it wasn't gonna come out next month because we all know (laughs) how march is shaping up to be this year so the game was never coming out next month so for everybody to write up pieces today saying it's delayed again okay technically yes but really no um i i I think I, i i think this is a perfect summer game honestly and i'm really hoping it comes out in summer um, yeah. because like you said, there is so many of the more triple A triple A Call of Duties and the Assassin's Creeds and we know Red Dead's lurking in the latter half of this year as well. Like those games that everybody's going to flock to are the ones that people purchase in the fall and I feel like this might get buried. Um I, so I think it is a summer game. Like I, I think that's when I think they'll announce a release date soon, I honestly do. They just had to do this whole because it was uh investors call today, right? And that's where this yeah came out so i mean they they had to do that so it i i think a release date is coming soon i don't think it's in development hell like the first one was because on obviously they thought they could have got it out originally last year and they're probably just polishing a few things up at this point and yeah i i i don't know i don't think it's in development hell though because they continue to talk about it even though we haven't heard about it in a long time but i don't know it it wouldn't have made sense for it to come out within these first couple months anyway just because everything is so busy in the first part of this year which is really rare for a year so and you think about how ubisoft's like whole year shaping up they have for honor coming out and then they have ghost recon wildlands so it's like they don't want to double up right you know wildlands and for honor are spaced out pretty good they're not the same type of games neither is south park but it's still your your portfolio you're working with. And if they're able to get For Honor come out, sell really well. Wildlands come out, sell really well. And then South Park, like you think, uh, which is a reasonable expectation for it to come out in that summer slot, either before or after E3, um, would be a nice pacing for the year, right? And kind of yeah. disperse their, their profits pretty evenly. So um, it's interesting. Do uh, you have any thoughts on this, Jordan, about the delay? Oh, just that I think it'll be out this summer. I think that's perfect timing for it because otherwise it would I think it'd be way too late if it was next year yeah agreed um so the last the last news story we have here comes away of Jason Schreier uh, this news story isn't too surprising uh during a, uh, an earnings call uh, Activision basically said Destiny 2 is coming this year uh, we've kind of all speculated it a lot of people actually assumed it was coming out last year uh and they're like nope Destiny 2 is coming out this year that's not the surprising thing I don't think that's really surprising to anybody the more surprising thing in Jason Trier's article is he states, uh, let me pull it up here, although some of the folks buying Destiny 2 might crave more time to add content and beef, the, beef up the game, here's an interesting bit of news to consider. If Bungie misses this year of Destiny 2, Activision is awarded a hefty chunk of the independent studio stock, according to sources familiar with goings-on at Bungie. Bungie's employee stock vesting schedule is also based on a game releases, uh, include Destiny 2, which gives them major incentives to get the sequel out this year. Um, so this is really interesting. You heard it straightforward. If the game doesn't come out this year, Activision is getting a hefty portion of Bungie's stock, which is really interesting. Uh, he also goes on in the article to state that uh, Activision has given Bungie an extra year, that they wanted Destiny 2 to hit last year in 2016, and they've given him an extra year. Um, so it's 
there, there's a two-end fold to this kind of argument of, you know, you don't want a developer to feel urged or pushed to finish a game quickly because then how does a product come out right? But you also, um, you don't know the goings-on there. You don't know if maybe the, the game's been kind of in a very polished state for a while, but they wanted to beef up the, the content in the game because that was a huge glaring problem with the first Destiny. Um, what do you guys think about this? Do you think that Destiny 2 is better off with this kind of um, deadline that they have to hit? Do you think they're worse off? Like, how does this um, shape out for the game? To me, it feels like um, it's about time either way. And so, um, like you said, it seems like they were thinking it might have even come out last year. So I think that... Um, Bungie's probably not too worried. I mean, Bungie's used to getting games out on time um, on a pretty quick turnaround. So um, I think it'll come out this year, and I think it'll uh, it'll do really well because um, you don't have the issue of, oh, yeah, it's Bungie, but uh, the game's kind of bland and doesn't have a lot of content. I think they've shown this time around, uh, you know, we've had a couple years with the original Destiny, so I think um, they've shown that they can build that content out and make it a worthwhile game, so um, I, I, clearly I don't need to um, convince anybody that Destiny's popular, but yeah, I think it's going to do really well this fall. Yeah, Logan, what do you think yeah. about this news? You can go ahead and jump in, Dom, if you'd like. <laughs> I knew you were about to say something. No, I, well, I, I can't speak to <laughs> Destiny 2 too much anyway. I... I I'm not a huge Destiny guy, so I don't I don't have a whole lot to say. I think the whole it's interesting. The whole like we get stock in your company if you don't have it out. That sounds insane. I'm wondering if that's like a normal thing companies do when they sign contracts with one another uh, to work on these games together. But other than that, yeah, I mean it'll be out this year. I have no doubts. Dom, what were you gonna say? This is one of those weird those weird details that it's odd that the public finds out you know about some of these terms in this contract, but. I think it makes perfect sense because, I mean, think about from Activision's point of view that Bungie would be a you know a company they'd love to actually own or partially own, and so on. But since they're not, they don't. (laughs) Um, But because they're not, you know, like a a first-party studio, it's not like Sony and Naughty Dog, where you know Naughty Dog can take as long as they damn well want to make a game, and Sony's going to be cool with it. There's you know probably real strict contact contracts. written out uh, in some of these partnerships that aren't, you know, wholly owned uh, studios by the publisher. So, I mean, it, while it makes sense, it, it yeah, it does sound a little weird and shady that they're kind of, you know, threatening to, to, you know, take ownership of some of the stock, but I, it makes sense. But in any case, I, I'm with Jordan. I think this uh, Destiny 2 comes out this year anyway. I don't think they'll have an, uh, a problem making that deadline. Yeah, it's just, it's really weird. Like, I don't know. It just it's it, like you said. It's weird that we get info on this like back end stuff that yeah. we would really never know, but somehow it leaks and we know about this. And then to Logan's point, like how often does this actually happen? Um, to where it does make relationships really weird if um, well, you know look at Scalebound. Yeah, yeah. If the dev doesn't agree to those kind of things, it's really weird. It's really interesting. Um, at the very least, I think Destiny Two will be a good game. I don't know if it'll be a great game, but I know you know Bungie's Bungie's a good development studio and the game was solid from a gameplay mechanic standpoint it just lacked a lot of content and um, you know story so we'll see how that shapes up and you know it had a long tail on it people still love destiny to this day so they know what they're doing and they know how to 
turn a buck. So we'll see what happens there. Well, I think Jason Trier even said in like a follow-up tweet to to his article earlier that he gets more tweets about Destiny 2 than any other game in the industry right now. And if that's indicative of anything, that's only one guy getting tweets sent to him. And everybody mostly knows that he's a Destiny player too. So maybe that's a little bit skewed, but... If that means anything, then the game's going to blow up and sell incredibly well later this year. Yeah, agreed. I think we all know it'll it'll definitely be in the top ten at the end of the year, probably top five, like maybe even top three. It, it will sell. That's not a problem. Whether or not it hits this year, hopefully for Bungie's sake and the people who own stock in it, hopefully it does. So let's talk about Fire Emblem Heroes. Finally said it right. Hell yeah. Um, so I want to tackle this conversation <laughs> is I want to run through all of my positives for the game first. And then whoever else has played can run through your positives, and then we'll get into the all negatives, and then we'll finish it off with just an overall you know, discussion about the game. So for me, the positives, it's exactly what I expected, and that's huge. Um, I didn't set my expectations too high. Going in, I figured this is Fire Emblem Light, um, and that's exactly what it is. I love Fire Emblem. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't play the last uh, trio of games. I just never got around to it, which is unfortunate. I'll probably pick them up on a sale. Um, the last Fire Emblem I played was Awakening, um, so... I, I like Fire Emblem quite a bit. I'm excited for the announcement of a console Fire Emblem for the Switch. That's a huge selling point to me, honestly. Um, I, I like Legend of Zelda, but Legend of Zelda isn't something that resonates with me enough to um, make me want to pre-order a Switch or buy it day one. Knowing that Fire Emblem for the console is coming out next year definitely puts in my mind, if I'm able to get this on a sale this holiday, I'm definitely picking up a Switch. Um, I like Fire Emblem quite a lot. And this game is fun. Um, the one of my biggest concerns going in was that the orbs are going to be hard to obtain and maybe that'll be the case two three months from now but because of all the bonuses they're giving to early adopters of the game as well as I signed in with my my Nintendo account and you get bonuses for that too tons of items that you can use in game I think it's really fun um, the, the the draw to this game is you know getting the heroes you want and uh, playing with them and I haven't played every Fire Emblem game but I love the artistic design of Fire Emblem Heroes. Um, you know, small H, not big H. Uh, I just love how all of them are always designed. And the way they implement, in this, implement them in this game is really good. Uh, I, I'm, I think I completed the whole story, which there's not really much story there. It's a mobile game. What can you expect? Um, it's intriguing enough to get you going and let keep you playing. I like that there's additional uh, difficulty modes. Uh, the leveling up system is cool. The additional content there of the arena and the special maps is really fun. Um, there are some 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 things that I think could be done a little bit better or can be improved in the future. But as far as all the positives, uh, for now, that's definitely there's a lot going on with it that I enjoy. So, what about you guys that have played it? Uh, so it's it's definitely Fire Emblem Light, and that's fine. That's not really my issue with it, and I don't even have an issue uh, with the orbs, like you mentioned either. It doesn't feel like you know I'm being coerced into buying them. I haven't felt like I needed to spend any money in the slightest so far um and it's okay that it's you know a light fire emblem game having just played um fates on 3ds it's you know just a super tiny piece of what the 3ds games are but to me it just feels like it was a phone game first and then they just kind of shoved in all the fire emblem stuff whereas even though it's it's not too much my style super mario run looks like a mario game first that was adapted to fit on a phone and control on a phone Whereas this kind of feels the reverse, where the menus and every like the way it's structured just feels like a phone game, and it just kind of turns me off. But like you mentioned, the art is superb. So coming from a, the 3DS screen, that's like, I think, 240p, 
type of resolution <laughs> super right super low res to my phone which i think is like 1440p it's like you know halfway to 4k or something obnoxious that's unnecessary but this game looks super super good on it <clears throat> and it makes me wish uh that the 3ds screen was much better but then it also gets me excited for the switch version as well which should uh, look pretty good too so i mean it's, it's for for a phone game it's great like i'm i've played it more way more than any other phone game but it still just feels too much like a just a cheap ios game in some respects to me so yeah jordan you said you played it too right yeah so my positives would be um that it is a quality strategy game on the mobile platform which um has plenty of strategy on it but i don't know about quality um as as far as the quantity of games that are on the app store um it is beautiful as you guys mentioned and the sound is also great um character design is really well done fire emblem seems to have that down pat so i wasn't expecting any different um other than that i'd say the gameplay is really solid moment to moment um it's you know makes sense on a phone um and like dom mentioned the menus and icons and everything uh, really feel like you're playing a phone game so um everything works within the context and um it's easy to use simple um it's easy to get the hang of and fun to get started with um so um i'm jared do you know how many chapters are on the story a nine nine so i just started chapter four before we got on and um so uh, about halfway through and uh yeah it's it's uh the story's whatever um it's you know basically all the fire emblem heroes have been transported into one universe to all fight each other and it's kind of just it's not a big deal but as far as uh, there's not a lot of depth to it but um yeah i really like the gameplay and i've never played a fire emblem game before so i can't really compare oh, wow. it to anything else yeah, I'd like to uh, get into the series. It's a series I've actually been wanting to get into for several years now, but um, this is a great first outing. Also, it's a... So, Jared... Sorry, uh, go ahead, Don. <laughs> so, I'm about as far as Jordan, too. I think I'm on Chapter 4 or 5. Does it get any harder? Because yes. so far, I've not had one character die. I've not had one ounce of difficulty shot at me it's just i'm just breezing so um that, that's what actually what i was going to talk about the progression of the game is good from the sense of uh if you're new to fire emblem or if you're just somebody who wants to play it it doesn't it doesn't smack you in the face and be like you have to go and train it gets very mobile gamey where you have to go and train and level up and do all this stuff and then you can come back and finish the story right which i appreciate to your point yeah majority of the story does seem on the easier side just because you always seem a slight level ahead of um of who you're facing right as the as the story progresses there's more enemies so it goes from like the early stages there's like three enemies and then there's four the the last couple of chapters have five or six enemies which is pretty difficult um as the story progresses your weaknesses start glaring really uh really in your face like um my archer so there's a lot of characters I'm familiar with in Fire Emblem, and there's obviously there's a ton of Fire Emblem characters, so there's some I'm not super familiar with. But the archer I got at the beginning, that was a four-star, so I kept him on my team. Not very good. 
and I thought he was good for the longest time. Then I realized he actually wasn't as the, the chapters progressed, and he's uh, he's not that good, uh, statistically speaking. But uh, yeah, as the game goes on, there, there comes a point where you have to go and do some training stuff. Not to the point of like sitting there grinding, but it will punch you in the mouth. There will come a point where it will get difficult. I'll just say that much. Um, the fact that when you beat a chapter, you get the other difficulty settings is really good. So there's normal, there's hard, and there's lunatic, and those scale okay. up. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, I don't think you hit level 20 enemies until chapter 6, 5 or 6. I could be wrong about that, maybe 6. In hard, chapter 1 is level 20 enemies. So, if you want to go back and level up characters, you can do it that way. Every chapter you come, every, um, mission in every chapter you complete, you get an orb. So, like, they're very generous with the orbs. Um, my biggest concern with the game, and my one negative, is, uh the size of the maps i don't think it's a detriment to early on in the game yeah they're tiny yeah but as the game progresses i think there should be stuff for late game players that are like oh you're familiar with the system now here's some wider maps you can use more heroes right there's a different roster say you can have eight heroes instead of four and i understand why you want it so small a because it fits on a phone screen and b it's a very easy way to teach people how to play that game but i think late game well, they want you to Sorry, they want you to go buy the 3DS games. Exactly. Game. That's what, you know. Exactly. But they the also real... want you to spend money. So if they say hey, it's a DLC for larger maps, they can easily get you that way too, right? Um, you know, 199 or whatever. Uh, I agree with you. The, the My major problem with mobile games is when there's that feeling that you need to buy to progress. It's either your time spent or money spent. And I think they nail this perfectly. Not once have I felt the need to buy orbs. I've unlocked so many heroes. Uh... There's not a weird thing where, like, in some games, I for me personally, it feels like the things you buy with money, you seem to have a higher rate of getting good items or good things as opposed to the ones you earn in-game. And I haven't bought a single orb, and I've had the fortune of getting, I think, eight or nine four-star heroes, which is pretty good. Um, and maybe it's just I'm lucky, which is fortunate. But, uh, yeah, I think the game has a good hook. I think the progression system is really well laid out. Um, I think they can expand the map. I agree with you that the menu is very mobile gamey, and that does that is kind of like eh, but it does help people who aren't familiar with Fire Emblem get into the game, and you don't need that with Mario because it's Mario, right? Fire Emblem isn't Mario, and I think that they yeah. felt that you need to have this as close to mobile games that all of these kids are playing now, so that way they're familiar with it. So it's not a huge problem to me. I understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, this game could have easily been gutted to be even more of a mobile game, uh, but I do enjoy it and I'm having fun with it. Like I said, I don't. I have a big problem with cell phone mobile games, um, and this is one that I've played more than any other. So I'm, I I like it a lot. Um, I have I think nine characters over level twenty, so I've been playing quite a bit. Um, they're also very generous with the items you get that you can level your characters with. Um, and so if you want to level up characters without having to grind them, you can go and do that. You can merge characters. So if you have multiples of the same character, you can just merge them together to get bonus stats. Um, I, the way the whole game is designed is really good. And I think it's a great entry level for anybody even slightly interested in Fire Emblem. So I, I say it's I, – I think it's a play. At least try it, you know. So. Well, that's good to hear on my front, somebody who's never played it. And hearing that Jordan's – it's also his first Fire Emblem, that's – good recommendation for me then yeah uh also quick quick tip for you logan if you decide to download it there's a quote-unquote cheese you can do to where you so when you 
first start up the game, I didn't do this, but when you first start up the game, you get to roll your characters, and they can be anywhere between one and five star, five star being the best, right? If you get like a really crappy pool of characters to begin with, and they're like all two stars and one stars, you can delete the app, re-download it, and then you can just re-roll again. And you can see okay, if you can get a... Work. And I don't, I don't suggest doing it until you get like two five stars and like completely cheesing the system, but... If you get a really crap pull, don't feel like you you need to go through with it. Just easily just delete the app and re-download it. Um, I saw a I'll, lot of people in my Twitter feed talking about that and doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we'll see. I We'll see if I download it or not. Also, I am it, very – I don't know. <laughs> I'm very much I, – I don't know how I feel about mobile games a lot of the time. I, I'm with you yeah. there. This oh, is yeah. – this is a, I hate mobile games so much. But I was like, Fire, I love Fire Emblem. So, like, God, you got me, you know. So, um. Also, Dom, did you sign in with your My Nintendo account, whatever the hell it's called, when you played it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't even have to sign in. I just clicked the button, and then it just yeah, you get, automatically. You get a surprised. bunch of cool rewards for being a My Nintendo member, which I think is cool. Um, hopefully, they have a system where you're rewarded for using your account and stuff on Switch. Hopefully, there's something there. It's a whole other discussion. But um, that's an interesting thing, too, is like I wonder if these mobile games will, since the Switch does have a touchscreen, if they'll be available there at some point either. Which is really interesting. We'll see. Um, that's pretty much it for Fire Emblem Heroes. Said it again. Nailed it twice. Yes. <laughs> so good. Uh, Dom, you wanted to talk about E3 and this recent news we had, right? Yes. <clears throat> so I actually learned a little bit about this topic today. Um, so previously, only uh, media folks were invited to E3. Um, and... A second level invite, so to speak, was required to go to the actual press conferences that only happen to take place during the week of E3 and aren't necessarily connected. But now, and I believe the price is $250, um, the public is open to buy tickets to E3. And correct me if I'm wrong on that price, but... That's there's really an early expensive. bird special, yeah. Yeah, so it's... it's like 150 Yeah, so there's 15,000 tickets. The first thousand are 150 The rest of them are 250 <laughs> so i i haven't paid too much attention to you know actually like trying to go to e3 and what it'd be like to go there i mean i watch the press conferences every year um or most of them but i've never like been super into wanting to go or just being there because it always it never seemed like an attractive idea to me to want to go there even as someone who's press um you know like you mentioned earlier waiting forever in a line just to play a demo of a game or um just being super crowded, you know, spending a whole ton of money flying over there. Um, and now it would be a, another $250 for your ticket. It just never seemed uh, like a, like an experience that I'd want to have. I'd much prefer just watching the conferences from my couch at home. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like the difference of watching a, a football game at home on a giant TV versus, you know, sitting up in the nosebleeds and spending $1,000 on tickets and food and driving for the day. Um it gives me that kind of vibe. Now I get 15,000 tickets. That's not too much. I'm sure they'll sell out and make a good chunk of money on this, but I don't know how much, how much those people are going to enjoy it. And they might not see a lot of recurring uh, purchases from those people next year, but I could be wrong, but I don't know. I'm, I don't care um, about this really one way or another. I just kind of want to throw it out there. Um, see what your guys' thoughts are on this whole E3 public ticket ordeal. I like your comparison to like the the NFL thing where so if you go to an NFL game the whole thing is like the ambiance and the environment that's the reason to buy an NFL ticket to go to an NFL game 
But the experience yeah. and the presentation you get, like, at home is far none the best you'll ever get, right? It's ten times better. Yeah. yeah. For me personally, E3 seems like something that, and it's kind of like an NFL game to me personally too, it's something you want to attend once just to say you did it. And, yeah, I could see that. And, you know, say you experienced it. For people in games, press, and media, that is like a I made it moment to a lot of people, right? Like, I made it. I was able to attend E3 as games media. Um, and I, I really think that the presentation at home is better than anything you'll get actually being there. Another thing is that the demos that you'll be able to play as a, you know, a public, just regular person, consumer, is different than the behind-closed-doors uh, stuff that actual games uh, media gets to play and stuff like that. You won't see a lot of the stuff that they get to see. Uh, this is basically, uh, this is basically, I think like a a braggers event thing where like you just want to buy the ticket, go, and then tell everybody you went. Whereas you actually being there doesn't provide you with anything, in my honest opinion. Like as a as a non media person, you don't really get anything for your two fifty. The chance of pops possibly seeing Hideo Kojima walk by you, maybe you're not going to be able to take a picture with him. This isn't a convention, you know. This isn't PAX or something. Um, I think it seems like something that could be cool to go do with a group of friends, maybe. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome as an experience. Like, say for instance, us four were able to go. We lived in LA and we were able to buy tickets and go to it. I think that'd be a cool experience for friends to go and experience together and maybe not stay the whole day. But if you're somebody just wanting to fly over to experience it because you think it's the Super Bowl of video games, it's not what it is by any means, you know. Well, I. Th- I think the important thing to mention, too, is that – so you said there, like, well, if you did see Hideo Kojima or something walk by, I think the important thing to remember is that this is a work event for yep. everybody in the development side and the publishing side and in the media side. So if you were to go there and see your favorite personalities from IGN or GameSpot or something like that, they're working the event. If you were to go there and see so-and-so developer, they're working the event. So you're not going to be able to really interact with those people, so – the main reason you would be going is to essentially play the games. And if they're opening up this many more tickets, that means the lines to play said games are going to be that much longer. Um, my overall opinion on it is that I have wanted to go to E3. I can't tell you how long. Yep. I have <laughs> dreamed of going to E3 since I was a kid. And it's finally it, kind of like what I, I forget who said it, either Jared or Dom. It kind of has always seemed to me. Like, if I could get to E3, that would be, like, the, oh, crap, I made it moment. Yeah. So I've been working steadily to try to get to that point, and I'm finally, this year, I'm trying to save money, but I think I'm finally in a position this year, and I'm with a website this year, and I think I could go to E3 potentially, like, as a member of the press, and that's mind-blowing to me, and I'm super excited about that prospect, and I'm really looking forward to that, potentially. So in turn, it kind of sucks that the year that I am finally like on the precipice of being able to go as part of the press, it turns out I could have just bought a ticket for the heck of it anyway, which is going to be very limited access again. So I know that having that press pass will be 10 times more valuable if I am able to get it. But it it is kind of ironic in my situation, at least, that the year that I finally think I am actually maybe going to be able to attain this goal that I have had for over a decade is it's available to the rest of the public. <laughs> yeah, it's like at a Seinfeld episode. People, at least. Jesus, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing too is there is a game that can be played here. If you're if you're if you're working hard at stuff but for some reason you can't get a media pass and maybe you live within the area, I don't know, it constitutes spending money for a plane ticket, but this is a hidden networking opportunity and I don't mean that by yeah. like 
you know, hourly facing. This isn't a convention where you can't go shake hands with everybody, yada, yada, yada. But if you're smart about it, you can easily network with people, you know, print out business cards. And it's a hidden way to to network with people because, like you said, it is a business event. So if you approach people. And that's people, the main reason why I'm wanting to go, on, on, if I'm exactly. being honest. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's a way to network. And if you approach people as peers instead of, um, you know, fans of then you can definitely make it work in your favor if you're willing to commit to that. Now, should you? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's really weird. I think this is – a lot of people have been talking about this as, as like, the people that run E3 are like, we have all this empty space we don't use. We could easily just sell tickets to the public and earn a bunch of money on that, you know? So it's like I see where they're coming from. That's extra revenue that they could just have. Um, it's, it's interesting to me because it does seem that E3 is becoming a more public event with the – I, be, I forgot the name of the... What was the name of the e, EA press conference last year that was outside of E3? It, it was, was like absolutely event. amazing. It was called EA Play, Jared. Yes, there you go. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think it's, it is becoming more of a public-facing public uh, event, and I don't know how it's going to treat E3. I think it works well the way it is, but it, you know if they see that they can sell a bunch of tickets and earn a bunch of revenue from the public going but actually not experiencing what the media experience is so it's kind of like you know they're earning their money and not having to show their hand essentially is really interesting um there's been a lot of talk that sorry go ahead go, go ahead, ahead Logan. well i was just gonna say there's been a lot of talk the last few years too about like is e3 still relevant like that's been a big talking point the past few years and a bunch of people see them as opening this up to the public as like well maybe e3 is in a bad spot maybe they need to do this in order to i don't want to say turn a profit because i don't know if Obviously, everything's about turning a profit, so of course the event is there to make money. But at the same time, like where does where where does the where does E3 stand as like a convention, an annual convention? Now, like, is it on its last legs? Are we in a few years? Is there going to be no E3? I I don't think that's the case by any means. But this is an interesting snafu, and I don't know. I, I I'm wondering why they are doing this, adding the tickets to the fifteen thousand tickets to the public. That is. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Uh, Jordan, do you think this is a hundred percent for profit? Do you think there's like, are they trying to turn this into Comic Con? Like, what do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think they are trying to change with the times and keep it relevant, though, because um, you know we are living in a time where developers and publishers are giving more access to the gamer than ever before, and it is uh, more connected in that sense. So, not having public uh, tickets available would be a mistake in this day and age moving forward. So I think that's a smart idea. Uh, as far as me personally, um, when I was a kid, I totally wanted to go to E3. I've been watching the press conferences forever. Um, and it's kind of weird how slowly, but surely the dream has just diminished over the years. And, um, at this point, I, to be honest, I don't want to go to E3 at all. Um, it used to be like if I had said that, if I could go back in time and tell myself that, I'd like slap myself in the face. But at this point, it's like, nah, the streams are in HD. I can see the press conference. I can see gameplay footage of the games that are being, being played on the show floor. I don't have to wait in line. I get to sit at home and I basically just have, you know, like three or four days where I chill out and just stream all day and kind of work it out on my schedule um and then yeah there's no expenses there's no travel blah 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 um so yeah i mean 
even in the future, I don't know if I could see myself going because I'd have to have like some weird VIP situation where I just wasn't facing all these lines because otherwise I think it would just kind of uh, uh, break down the experience for me. Yeah, make it even worse for going than not ever going at all. Yeah, totally yeah. see you there. So I, I enjoy um, E3 week is still a big thing for me and I really enjoy kind of hunkering down and having those few days to just chill but um, as far as taking the trip I don't know for me personally. Yeah, I'll just say I'll just say that you, the three of you having an aversion to wanting to go, it sounds like at this point in your lives, has definitely <laughs> made me feel better about my passion for video games. Still, not to say that any of you don't, but I, I I often ask myself that a lot of times, like, am I still do I still really like video games the same amount that I used to? And hearing that it's kind of worn off on you guys throughout the years, you're wanting to go to E3 has definitely made me feel better i guess in my own mind that i still consider it the mecca of video games or something something like that so i still love video games the same but i'm just averse to large sweaty crowds yeah so I think yeah i i went i went it. to psx it's kind of a it's a jarring experience i i loved it in the <laughs> end but by the end of that weekend i was like all right i i think i'm ready to go back to my hotel and lay down for a couple of minutes it it it, it is tough yeah, I'm down to go as media. Just going as like a public participant strikes no interest to me. Like if I'm there covering the games and writing and finding out about all this stuff first and relaying that to a bunch of people who really care about it, that's one thing. I'm super excited to do that. But to buy a ticket to attend it publicly, I'm like, I'm I can save that $250. You know, there's a yeah, difference there. Yeah. Like attending it as like media or press, that intrigues me fully. Attending it as a a public member just um, why no no thank you jared i'll tell you um you know if we figure out hover pack technology in the next couple <laughs> of years i could see myself doing it because then i could just float right over the crowds and just <laughs> hop into whatever booth i'm looking for so if only that, that that could turn my decision around i don't even think the 250 dollars price tag's that bad honestly no but it's the it's the flight to la it's the hotels that you know are going to be hiked up throughout that week it's yep. the $50 Uber you're going to have to take into the city from LAX. Like, it's all of that stuff that, in my mind, is like, oh, okay, that's the expensive yeah. part of the trip. The, two, yeah. the 250 yeah. is manageable. The $250 it, ticket, but thousands of dollars for that. The only plus yeah, of this is it's not in San Francisco, because then you'd be homeless by the end of it. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Jordan, you wanted to talk about Kingdom Hearts Unchained Double XL, whatever the heck it's called, right? Jared, was that a reference to Kingdom Hearts odd naming situations? Because I've never heard someone make a joke about stupid <laughs> Kingdom Hearts names before. I know, Super I'm fucking original, Jared. <laughs> <sighs> so this, this topic is about Kingdom Hearts. It's going to be kind of a two-parter here. Um, first, we're just going to talk about Kingdom Hearts in general. And... Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the whole naming situation. The naming convention is one thing, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. What I want to break down right now is the fact that, for some fucking reason, everyone loves to just shit all over Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Let's just shit all over Kingdom Hearts. Let's Easy shit target. all over the names. Let's shit all over the fact that they you know, have all these spinoffs. And there hasn't been a uh, mainline title in like 10 years. Let's share the fact that it's all kiddie and it's got all these Disney worlds in it. Even though 
all us motherfuckers actually love Disney and we sing Let It Go in the Mirror when no one else is watching. Anyways, what I'm saying right now is everyone loves to shit on Kingdom Hearts and for reasons that they love other franchises. Now, let me break this down. Kingdom Hearts Unchained Chi is the word you were looking for, Jared. There's also, you know, released last month, there was Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. It's not that hard. It's only three words. And <laughs> see, the thing is, it's Japanese. That's that's what the Japanese uh, developers do. There's tons and tons of Japanese games that come out every year with weird-ass names, with names that are English words that are like uh, Metal Gear Solid Revengeance, for example. Japanese developers love to just take English words and jam them up together and make a new one and then make it a video game title. That's not new to Kingdom Hearts. Second of all, this whole thing about the lore. Oh, the lore is too deep. The lore is so thick. All these games spun off on different platforms. I've got to have a 3DS and all the PlayStation systems. It's like, check it out, dude. You're going to talk about any other franchise in history of video games, and it also has tons of deep lore, spinoffs on other platforms. It also has a long-spanning, like let's say for uh, Metal Gear Solid, for example. Metal Gear Solid, you'd have to have a PSP, a PS3, um, a PS1. You'd have to have uh, some Nintendo consoles if you wanted to play some of the spinoffs it's just how video game franchises are. I don't understand why people just think, oh, because it's because it's Disney crossed over with Final Fantasy, they're not allowed to have lore. They're not allowed to have a deep franchise lore that people can go look up on their, their own wiki site and get involved in and get interested in. They're not allowed to have that because it's a stupid crossover. All right, I let just me, let, me, let me jump in here. Um <laughs> Because I know Jared said at the top of the show that I am a Kingdom Hearts fan in arms with you. Can you at least admit the concept, stupid? Because I like the games, but oh my, the concept behind the games is still idiotic to me. And it always has been, but that's also kind of the reason why I love it is because I know that it's stupid. I'm like, oh, this game's really dumb, but it's fun, and I I have fun with it because of that. Crossing Final Fantasy over with Disney makes no sense at all. But somehow (laughs) it works. I don't think it's stupid. I think it's like this. I think there's, and it's, it's partly, partially has to do with it being, you know, like anime focused and, and very Japanese. A lot of Japanese stuff is very melodramatic. It's very over the top. It's very goofy and cheesy, sometimes even kiddie. Um, uh, You know, there's tons of fan service and Kingdom Hearts is totally guilty of that. And I think those, um, you know, a lot of Kingdom Hearts is really just like um, playing with these tropes. It's playing with uh, tropes of JRPGs and just Japanese anime and that culture in general. And then, of course, it's playing also on all of the Disney tropes, uh, you know, bouncing through these worlds and, you know, meeting Steamboat Willie and all this other crap. Um, You know, going back to Tron and like making fun of how goofy that shit looked. I think that's another big thing, an issue, is that people, not enough people realize that a lot of Kingdom Hearts is tongue-in-cheek. A lot of Kingdom Hearts is realizing that, yeah, this is goofy as hell. Like, Final Fantasy, Literally, you know, yeah. this uber-Japanese <laughs> uh, 
RPG series and then Disney, you know, this uh, goody two shoes uh, animation film company come together. It's really one of the most intriguing crossovers of all time, in my opinion. I think that people don't give it enough credit because, I mean, this this is like crazy when you think of other crossovers. You know, like Marvel versus Capcom doesn't even come close to the amount of um, kind of just star power that comes with this franchise because Final Fantasy is one of the biggest video game franchises and, of course, Disney is a giant in the animation industry and film. So um, I think... That's more tongue-in-cheek than people realize. The goofiness and the cheesiness, you know, it's all about friendship and it's all about loving one another. I get that it's not, you know, the coolest thing out there. It's not, you know, warfare warfare in, uh, you know, the middle of Germany during uh, World War One. Dom. I know this isn't Battlefield One, but if you could just humor me and allow me to enjoy, you know, this childlike sense of wonder that... A game such as Kingdom Hearts brings. I just, I just don't understand the hate. That was a mighty big soapbox you were standing. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I can, I can get with you on that. So I, I absolutely loved the first game. Like absolutely Same. loved it. Yeah. And I even played the GBA game. Um, and I think that's, I think that's one step further than most people went. I imagine that this series had a ton of people play the first game and then started to see some drop off. Because um, in my head, and maybe it's just from a lack of effort. But I, the, the continued lore beyond the Disney worlds just wasn't what made it interesting to me. And it yeah. seems my perception is as the games went on, that stuff got more and more prominent. And it kind of became uh, more about that than it was so much about the Disney worlds. And then to True. me, I think you can – yeah, a lot of games do you know switch, switch between platforms. But I can't think of a more egregious example of – you know, if you want to play every game in this series, you have to like jump between not just platforms, but you know, manufacturers of platforms. You know, at least, uh, uh, yeah, Metal Gear. Um, you know, you have to have most of the PlayStation systems, and I didn't know there was a few on Nintendo. So that was that's what I'm saying. Me, but... Metal Gear has Nintendo games. If you think about Assassin's Creed, there's fucking DS games and shit. There's DS Call of Duty games. I mean, almost any giant franchise. Final Fantasy itself is the same way. Final Fantasy is on Nintendo and fucking, uh, of course, PlayStation. But then, yeah, Final Fantasy uh, 13 is on Xbox. They, so, just, yeah, they just seem to have a least consistency, though. The thing I'll say about Kingdom Hearts and the reason people complain about the spinoffs is because the spinoffs are vital to the story. So right, if you right. go chronologically, one is on PS2. The follow-up to that is a Game Boy Advance game. The follow-up to that is another PS2 game. So there's that. So PS2 correlation there between 1 and 2. But then the uh, the next one that's vital to the story, I think, was on DS. And then the next one was on PSP. And then after that, there was one on the 3DS. And then there was now one on... There was one on phone, which was recoded, which was then put back on... Which was... Ported See, to DS, I think. And now you're bringing me to my next point, which is the fact that that whole point is irrelevant because of the fact that come uh, end of March, we're going to have all the games on PS4, all the games they that are, are on 3DS, it, yeah. the 3DS games. Literally, the only Kingdom Hearts game that isn't on uh, either the collection coming out this spring or 2.8 that we just had on PS4 is Unchained Chi, the mobile game. Um, and so I think that's okay that that's not on there. Um, so yeah, you can get this complete Kingdom Hearts story just by getting a PS4, which tons of people have. 
It's got the spin-offs. It's got the the Nintendo games. Even if it doesn't have uh, the actual game itself, it has the cutscenes remastered. And so, um, I think they've done a good job of culling the herd there, as it were. Um, well, yeah, they they I recognized like, that was an issue and fixed it. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that um, you do make a good point, Logan. That you know other franchises may jump around platforms or even. Uh, manufacturers of platforms but usually they're not all vital to the main storyline um yeah. so I, I can concede that point but um yeah like i said that that is all being fixed um by the end of march and so um yeah at this point i think um it's probably going to be out next year kingdom hearts 3 um <laughs> let's cross our fingers i mean i i'm saying compared to this year i i definitely think yeah it will be out late next year at the latest. Also, um, but... it was reassured that it's coming to Xbox One still, so I'm super excited about that. Yeah, which, <laughs> uh, don't even get me started on the fact that they're not putting the collection on there. But, yeah, that irritates um, me too. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't understand but, that, for sure. Um, still, I think um, later on this year, I think we're going to see a lot of people going, okay, now I can finally jump in. They've got the collections on PS4. They've got 2.8, and it's not that difficult to get your hands on two different games you know and um so then i think we're gonna see a lot more people diving in um dom you gave the complaint that i've heard from a lot of people which is that um pretty soon after the beginning of the series you see the uh connection to disney not taper off but just uh they don't delve into the disney lore as much and they lean more on the kingdom hearts lore itself um i think I that that wrong. is that was just my perception i don't know no i think you're correct but the thing is and i think uh what is what most people don't realize here um is that i think that's actually a strong suit of the kingdom Hearts series i think that the lore is actually really fucking dope i think um you know nobodies and heartless and organization 13 and uh, mickey being king of um, his world and um, what Kingdom Hearts is and how all the worlds are connected and all that. That shit's really fucking cool. And so I think people will start to realize that it's okay that they lean more heavily on that um, in the later years because, you know, just tell, retelling the same story of Mickey or, you know, um, just uh, bringing more Disney characters in isn't really going to do it. So I think it's smart that they've written their own story and made their own characters important. I mean, dude, people, you know... I was getting up on my soapbox there, but there's some diehard Kingdom Hearts fans out there, and those people love the Kingdom Hearts characters. Of course, they're they're glad to see what the new worlds in Kingdom Hearts 3 are going to be and what Disney worlds and characters are going to see, but um, people really do like the Kingdom Hearts characters themselves, and I think they are strong enough to support their own lore story. Yeah. Uh, closing out, the only thing I want to say is I love Kingdom Hearts. I've only played 1 and 2. I haven't played anything after that, and I'm super excited for 3. My only problem with Kingdom Hearts is I think it's a very... I'm not speaking towards the quality of the games, but I think it's a very mismanaged IP and franchise. Um, I think if they would have handled it with a little bit better care, I think Kingdom Hearts could easily be bigger than Final Fantasy to a wider audience. Uh, I think Kingdom Hearts could easily play to a lot more people than Final Fantasy. I, thought, I think it was a lot more tangible to the average gamer and like i just the it's a whole final fantasy thing and like a bunch of things square enix does where there's a big gap between games coming out and it just like poorly mismanaged in my opinion and i think if they would have took a little bit more care to bringing out full kingdom hearts experiences 
I think they could have hit on all cylinders and made this way bigger than it is. Because, like, there are a lot of diehard Kingdom Hearts fans, but I don't think it's anywhere near the popularity it could have easily been after the first one, you know? Um, I I would have to disagree with the fact that it could be more popular than Final Fantasy. I, I think that's a bit of a stretch, but I do actually agree with you that they've mismanaged it. Because, yeah, I mean... Hell, dude, Kingdom Hearts 2 was a PlayStation 2 game, you know? I mean, I mean it's 2005, I think, was yeah, when it released. Like, yeah. I mean, we, so. should have had, we should have had Kingdom Hearts 3 a long-ass time ago. Especially and because I mean, the weird thing is, like, they teased Kingdom Hearts 3 subtly at the yeah. end of Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. So yeah. that tease has been 13 years in waiting, so it's well, really yeah. strange. The only, the only reason, Jordan, I say it had a chance to be bigger than Final Fantasy is because... Disney's bigger than Final Fantasy. Because the Disney, yeah. Yeah, but... and I'm not saying it would have been, but it, it definitely had the possibility, and especially if you handled them. If they had a great marketing team, dude, oh, you could have sold that to, uh, sold that to so many kids. Like, um, I'm excited for Kingdom Hearts 3. I, I I, make fun of the names, and I know it's not original, but it's just like, eh, it's an easy poke. But, like, none of the other stuff you said the people poke fun at, I see in Kingdom Hearts. I think it's a great franchise. I think it is a little ludicrous, but in a very fun way. I mean, it's video games, right? Um but I'm like super I think excited. it knows that. One of the coolest weapons in video games are keyblades. Hands down. Yes. Cool, that's another weapons. thing is people do not give enough credit to how awesome keyblades are. Yep. Um you said, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2 came out in 2005, which is 12 years ago. That's insane to even think about. Um but you know, speaking of years, uh Logan, what's your topic for us? So, my topic has been something that I have been stewing on for internally for a little bit at this point and it's essentially what is the best year for video games ever and i know that's probably a big question off the top of your heads if you're like me you probably don't remember certain years that certain games came out but i took it upon myself coming into it to kind of compile some more notable years that i think had bigger releases in it and more releases in it of note uh more I don't know. I, I've gathered probably five, six years here that I think are of note. The main reason I've done the main reason I've been thinking about it so much is because Jared, you and I kind of talked about it before the show started. But I think 2017 might top them all, honestly, by the end of it. Like I've it's never seen to be anything. A big year. Yes. I've never seen anything this crazy packed into the first six months of the year. We still don't yeah. know anything that's out after June. We know games that are coming, though, like South Park's coming, Red Dead's coming, Super Mario Odyssey. Like, we know the games Destiny that are coming, 2. but we don't know yep. the release dates. Destiny 2, Battlefront 2, Assassin's Creed Egypt, if that's a thing, Call of Duty. Like, there's uh. all these games that we know of that are coming that don't even have firm release dates and haven't even been revealed yet. And besides, I mean, I would say that the first six months of this year alone can compete with other years' yep. entireties. So. Oh, yeah. I think 2017 is incredible, and I am really looking forward to what's coming out. But because of that, I wanted to go back and look at past years and see what really stands out. And so I will run through some of these as quick as humanly possible, and if there's any that stand out to you guys, let me know. Um, probably the most notable one and the one that most people talk about most often is 1998. Uh, that year saw Half-Life release. It saw The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Banjo-Kazooie came out. Metal Gear Solid came out. Pokemon Red and Blue came out. Mario Party. There was a bunch of other things that came out those th that year. Those were the notable Damn. ones. So I think that's an important year because it's kick-started a lot of important franchises like Half-Life and Metal Gear and Pokemon. So that's... That year, in retrospect, may not be the best, but I think it's important because of what it started. The beginnings, um, yeah. 
yeah, the beginnings of those franchises that became so huge and important. Um, on a personal note, like these are some of my favorite years. I don't know about you guys, but everything – I don't know how old you guys are too. I assume twenty early to mid-20s. I didn't play a whole lot every year from about 2000 to 2005. Honestly, up until the 360 and PS3 generation, like there was plenty of games that I missed out on that Same. I never went back to play. Yep. So I, I, there's a lot of things in there that I didn't play. So those, I'd say about five or six years there from 2000 to 2006, really, I look back and I know games are good, but nothing really stands out to me because I didn't personally play them. Um, but I'll give you some of the ones that stood out in my mind when I started looking at this. Uh, 2007, I thought was really strong. They had Bioshock. They had Mass Effect 1. The Orange oh, Box, three, which right. means both um, Half-Life Episode 2, or Half-Life 2, Episode 2 came out that year. Portal came out that year. And Team Fortress came out that year. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1, oh, the original. Uh, Guitar Hero 3, so that was the first Guitar oh. Hero on next-gen consoles. Assassin's Creed started that year. The Witcher started that year. Halo 3, uh, I may have already just said that. Rock Band came out that year. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy was out that year. God of War 2 oh, man. on the PlayStation on the PlayStation 2. So that's an insane one. Um, and then there were a few others. I know you had them in your list. Uh, Jared, I'm trying to see. Yeah, what else. Uh, Uncharted. Uh, Ratchet and Clank Tools of Destruction. Uncharted, Ratchet and Clank Tools of Destruction. Um World of Warcraft Burning Crusade is one you have on here. Skate is another good one. Crisis. Um, so a lot of really good games Jeez. in 2007. Uh, again, a lot of the games that kind of kick-started what I think was last generation, like Bioshock, huge important franchise, one of my personal favorite games of all time as well. Um, the Orange Box by Valve is the best thing they've ever put out, I think. I think that's easy to say, and that's probably the best deal in video games ever, except for maybe Super Mario All-Stars. Um, just a lot of really big franchises again started that year. So I think the correlations between 98 and 2007 are really apt. Well, uh, I'm sorry, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta correct you, Logan. The best deal in games history is Kingdom Hearts HD Remix 1.5 <laughs> and 2.5. Coming I'll March 28th to really the PlayStation 4 Computer Entertainment System. Um, oh my God. The funny thing, Logan, is you talked about 2017 to start it off. A lot of the games in 2007 draw parallels to 2017 you have mass effect you have assassin's creed you know there's some interesting things there that d draw direct comparisons so yeah uh super mario odyssey with galaxy yep. and things like that so yeah there's a lot of there is a lot of comparisons um 2008 again the year after i thought was also really strong you had grand theft auto 4 you had super smash bros brawl you had metal gear solid 4 you had gears of war 2 far cry 2 rock band 2 which i think is the best rock band game personally and then i i still remember this like week and a half in my mind there was like a there was yeah, there was a one-week span where Fallout 3, Left 4 Dead, Far Cry 2, and Fable 2 all came out within, like, seven days of each other. Oh, that was and one that was, week? Yeah. That was one week. Holy shit. Because <laughs> I remember I picked up Fallout 3, Far Cry 2, and Fable 2 on the same day. I called it the F day. Yeah, the, the, the what-the-fuck-do-I-play day. Yeah. Um, so those all came out on like, one day. What and the then, F do I play? Yeah. Um... And then you had Mario Kart Wii, which was good. Resistance 2, which I personally is really liked. Uh, Dead Space was also that year, which is awesome. Um, yeah. And then Star Wars The Force Unleashed, Mirror's Edge, Little Big Planet, Devil May Cry 4, Braid, which is like the first indie game practically. Um, so again, a lot of really good games in 2008. 2007 and 2008 back-to-back -back are 
phenomenal. And I think it's only rivaled by 2010 and 2011 back to back. And I think here we go. I think part of that's because a lot of sequels from those 2007 and 2008 were coming out in 2010 and 2011. And in a lot of ways, they were better than their predecessors. Um, Some games in 2010. Mass Effect 2, Call of Duty Black Ops, uh, Red Dead Redemption, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, uh, Fallout New Vegas, God of War 3, Mario Galaxy 2, Limbo, Super Meat Boy, Heavy Rain. Uh, I'll say this one on a personal note. NBA 2K11, that was what started the NBA 2K games into being what they were. That was the one that had Jordan on the cover. That was when it went from being just another NBA game to, like, the NBA game. Like, NBA 2K11 might be the best basketball game of all time that was the fall of nba live that was like when you notice like oh 2k knows how to make a basketball game live is falling off yeah 2k 2k was always good but they took it up about like 10 notches that year that was like an nba live still just struggling to catch a breath (laughs) in 2017 (laughs) it's kind of amazing that they're still making those games considering I don't think trash. did they make one last year? No, they didn't. There's it's been remember. a two year hiatus. Remember, so they announced okay. the NBA Live. <laughs> that explains it. Then it never came out. Then they released NBA Live the following year, and then we haven't heard from it since. So it's been like I think two two or three years since NBA Live. <gasps> no one really asked any questions. Yeah, well, no one yeah. ever asks no for one. it. So why even bring it up? I used to work at Game. I I worked at GameStop when the last one came out, and people would come in and they'd be like, "I think I'd like to buy NBA Live," and I would like. There's a lot going on in the news lately with like GameStop employees trying to talk people out of sales, and but I did it for good reasons. I talk, tried to talk people out of NBA Live for good reasons. I had a heart about it, so I always pointed them to 2K instead. Uh, also in 2010, let me see here, Bioshock 2, which is uh, all right. Uh, Battlefield Bad Company 2, which but I thought was the Bioshock bad, 2 bad gave us game. Bioshock 2 gave us Minerva's Den. So, I mean, there it was did. a bright spot. Have you played it yet, Jared? No, but I know it's good. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I try. I actually, I'm a huge Bioshock fan. I couldn't get into Minerva's Den. Hmm, so, interesting. there's that. It's a good story. It's a good compact story, but I couldn't really get into it. A um, few others here of note. Uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Conviction, which really kind of brought Splinter Cell back from the dead. And then they put it back in the grave after <laughs> Blacklist, and it hasn't been seen yet. Uh, Alan Wake is another good one that oh, I personally I love. I love Alan Wake, yeah. And then Mafia 2, another solid game, and Gran Turismo 5. There's there's a few other things here. Logan, um, Logan, real quick, did you play Quantum Break? I did. Yeah, yeah, I love the Alan Wake reference at the beginning of that game when they're in the classroom. I oh, I was like, I yes. I did too. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really awesome. Uh, 2010 also had Fable 3, by the way. Just throwing that in there. Uh, 2011. I'll, I'll try to get through these as fast as possible, and I know it's really quick for you guys, and I don't know if you'll be <laughs> no able problem. to separate any of them in your heads afterwards 2011 skyrim obviously on 11 11 11 which is standout uh skyrim modern warfare 3 batman arkham city which is one of my personal favorite games of all time uh uncharted 3 legend of uh, zelda skyward sword portal 2 super mario 3d land on the 3ds battlefield 3 saints row the third assassin's creed revelations la noir dark souls yes huge important game um there's not really much filler after that, but I think those few at the front. Gears of War three. There's another good one. Um, there's, I'd say, there's less this year that came out that was of note. But the games that were of note this year, I felt like were of a higher caliber, like Skyrim, like Ar- Arkham City, like Uncharted three, Portal two. Um, the games that did come out and were great were like some of the best in the franchise. Um, 
And then 2015, like uh, shout out to 2015. I thought 2015 was amazing. Battle, you had Battlefront, you had Metal one. Gear Solid Five, you had Rise of the Tomb Raider, Witcher Three, uh, Black Ops Three, Batman: Arkham Knight, Bloodborne, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, Fallout Four, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Halo Five, uh, Just Cause Three. You had uh, Super Mario Maker. I'm trying to think of some other, see some other things. Did you say Arkham Knight? Arkham Knight, yeah. Um, the Order 1886, if that's your jam. Yeah. And Mad Max, <laughs> Mortal, Mortal Kombat X, Splatoon, Until Dawn, um, Destiny: The Taken King, Until Xenobra- Dawn, Xenoblade, Ma- Dying until- Light was also 2015. Until Dawn. Chronicles X. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just keeps going. Sorry. Until just Dawn. Keep going. Just keep going. I really think Until <laughs> Dawn is like the most underrated PS4 game. Like Until Dawn is oh, such yeah. a unique game. Like I love okay, that game Jared. so much. Like it sold really well. We though. all know the most underrated PS4 game is Infamous Second Son. I thought you were gonna say <laughs> Knack, and I was gonna cry. Um, like I really think that as games go on, we're seeing that they're, you know, the cycles of games are getting quicker, and we're just seeing so many good games come out, and. Uh, to your point, like there's so many years that you can just call like that's the year to me objectively that's the best year, right? For me, it's 2007 just because a lot of those franchises resonate with me, and a lot of those franchises have continued. And to me personally, 2007 was a big year in which I realized I was a quote unquote gamer. Like I loved video games, right? Like I played video I think games. That was up probably until that my point. year as well. Yeah. yeah, but like 2007 is like I like video games. I like a lot of different video games. Like and um, like th- that year had such a ripple effect on the industry and everything moving forward. But like you think about 2005 is a very polarizing year because you had the new excellence in, in RPGs and Witcher three, and you had a good and familiar friend that seems a little outdated in fallout four. And it was weird seeing both of those come out the same year, you know, yeah. because fallout four was a good game. It wasn't by any means a bad game, but you I saw agree. Bethesda for so long was the RPG guys, like they always had the top of the line best RPG in the industry for the most part. Though it had some trouble running, they always had like the thing to look to. And that was the year when Fallout 4 came out. And was like, on its own, this is a good game. But then you look at Witcher 3 and you're like, man, Bethesda fell behind for once. And it's weird to see, you know? So that was a very polarizing year. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Jared. I thought you were done. No problem. Go ahead. Um,. I'm going to have to say 2015 for me just because it's got three of my favorite games of all time that year. That would be Bloodborne, Witcher 3, and Metal Gear Solid 5. Ziff found some pain. Um, I mean, like I said, three of my favorite games of all time, all in one year, all spread out throughout the year, and um, plenty of other awesome games that year um, with Arkham Knight and Mad Max and and just a bunch of goodness. So, uh, 2015, I don't know, man. That might be it for me. I, that's probably going to be my choice. All right, I got to go. It's weird because it was 20, 2007 yeah. uh, when Call of Duty Modern Warfare first came out. And that was pretty much the only game I played for <laughs> <laughs> the next like three years. So that one game made that year so good for me that I ended up missing out on all those other gems. and ended up having to go back. So it's kind of mixed up in my head, but 2011, I think is probably what I'd end up saying. Um, just Skyrim and Dark Souls to me, that's just, Ooh. they stick out the most. Yeah. Um, did you get Dark Souls when it came out out of curiosity or did you, yeah, you um, one of those people who went back and found it later? 
Yeah, I played it within, I think, a month or two when it came out. Same. I played okay. Skyrim first, and then a friend of mine was like, oh, did you like Skyrim? Like, you need to try this, but just be careful. And <laughs> gave me a weird warning. I'm like, <laughs> Just right, wear a diaper. Yeah, he's like, no, it's, it's hard. You don't understand. I'm like, whatever, I got it. <laughs> Same reason, the gamer arrogance. I heard, like, because I got it, like, maybe yep. three or four months after the game came out, and people were like, you like RPGs, right? Check out this game. And I like the whole aesthetic, and they're like, but it's hard. Just remember, it's a hard game. And I'm like, how hard can it be? Started yeah, up the exactly. game, punched me in the mouth. I'm like, oh, I like this. And then fell in love ever since. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I like games that are Jared challenging. likes to get hit hard. Yeah, I love challenging <laughs> games, dude. Like, ugh. I, I it's I think to, as it's shaping up, 2017 easily could be the year of like the Dude, best year ever ever. Right? Shit and it's is so whack. It's so funny well, because like the last six months we don't even have release dates, but yet like everything coming out in the first the first six months is has a potential. Obviously, it could come to like bad critical reception, but on paper it looks like it's shaping up. This could be the year, you know. Which is crazy. Well, even I, I think what's important to note too is that even like the borderline games that we were like, ah, maybe that'll be good. Like uh, the one that stands out right now, Neo. Like yeah. everybody, oh, yeah. I, I I had my eye on Neo, but I did not anticipate everybody and their mother to be talking about this game on my Twitter feed and in yep. Facebook and all this stuff. That game it has so much hype and so much talk surrounding it right now, and I did not anticipate that. So then. Again, that's another game for 2017. Yep. That by the end of the year, we're gonna look back on and be like, Neo came out this year. Holy crap, Neo! And Dude, I, I, I do, I do totally think that the first six months of this year honestly stack up against really any of these that I just listed. And that might sound crazy, but I, I think they do. The beauty of it is the reason it's gonna stand out too is because um, Dopre is a, an already established IP. It is new to me. Like I consider it a new IP because it's in a completely different direction, right? Yeah. And Neo and Horizon Zero Dawn, like it's we're not only getting the sequels. Yakuza Zero is another one that I think yeah. is worth noting. Like there's a hu- a ton of buzz around that game, and I, I've y- Yakuza games have come and gone when they release. It. Usually they come out and it's like, oh, a new Yakuza game's out. I've heard so much talk about Yakuza Zero more than I have any other game in the franchise. Yeah, it's I I think that the best years are the ones that mix a new IP with sequels and. I think this is a year that can really establish that. Like, yeah, the return to form for Resident Evil. Uh, you're hopefully a return to form for Mass Effect. Um, and then you have the new IPs along with sequels to games we already know are beloved. So, like, I, I think it's shaping up to be... We could potentially say 2017. If we have you back on, which we probably will sometime in the year, hopefully we'll have you on next year too, we'll look back and have this conversation again and be like, oh, yeah, it was 2017 is the best year in gaming, obviously. You know, so... Yeah, I mean, I've gone as far to say that I like. I think it will be the best year in games. Like I've said that for a while now, and um, yeah, I fully expect that sentiment to still hold up by the end of the year. You know, what we didn't um, even depends point out on was... if Kingdom Hearts three comes out this year. Stop. <laughs> well, what we didn't even point out was two new consoles this year. Uh, assuming Scorpio. That's also a great point. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting new consoles in the middle of a of a console life cycle as previous like. PS4 is kind of starting to hit its stride, and we don't really know what's up with the exclusives for that. Like, we could still potentially see, like, uh, Detroit become human in the latter half of this year. We could also see uh, Days Gone this year potentially as well. Like, I don't know if that game will be good or not. I'm don't also, forget about Persona. Yeah, Persona 5. Yeah, Persona is out in April. Huh. Also, the big thing that we're, that we're forgetting, too, is, like, 
this is a strange year for consoles to launch and it also be a good year for video games and that's because we're getting into this more iterative state we didn't talk about 2013 we didn't talk about 2005 you know so this is this is it seems like it's going to be a year where it melds both of those where it is the console releases and the video game uh lineup which is crazy so i'm excited i think well, the, all of us the, are excited so the two other things i'll say about 2017 because i know you're probably about to wrap up here vr also oh, yeah. which yeah. i know we haven't touched on but vr games are now a thing that you can have in your living room i have one right over there um so that's a thing and uh, even though i really don't know any other psvr games that are coming out anytime soon uh, psychonauts i'm really excited for psychonauts in the rhombus room and I, I love that series um so i'm looking forward to that but i don't really know what else vr related is coming out the other thing too and this is why i didn't put 2016 on my own list for like what are potentially my favorite years ever um there wasn't any marquee titles uh, that I like when the whole when the 12 months are over and you look back like what is it the one big marquee game that stands out to you and for a lot of people last year that was like Uncharted 4 or something like that I didn't feel like we got really a ton of games like that last year but I'm already seeing it that Zelda is going to be a marquee title Mass Effect is going to be a marquee title Persona 5 will be as well um, Super Mario Odyssey Super Mario Odyssey will be like there there are just those games that automatically <laughs> like rise above the rest. Yeah. And when you look back at a year, there's like a lot of games that came out like, oh, I totally forgot I even played that, but I did and that was a good game. Like and I'm not saying this to be degrading or anything, but I like something like Prey will probably be something like that for me. Like, oh I I love Prey. That was a great game, but I totally forgot about it here as we sit in November of twenty seventeen. Like there's always those games every year that you forget about in retrospect. This year there are like five or six games of like high note that I think are coming out. And that was I didn't think twenty sixteen had very many of those, and I think it's mainly because they all got pushed to twenty seventeen instead and we're getting them all, it seems like, within the next four weeks, which is insane. Um but yeah, I mean, if we're going to close the conversation too, personally, I'd say 2015, 1998, and 2007 are the three years that stand out to me. If I was to choose one, I'd lean towards 2007, but I think the importance of 2008 or 1998 is like, cannot be, it, it like, Metal Gear Solid, Ocarina of Time, and Pokemon. Like, that's huge. Um, and Banjo-Kazooie. Like, those are four of probably my top ten favorite games ever in that year alone so it, it i don't know it's hard i go back and forth but i think 2017 will blow them all away by the by year's end if it keeps up this pace hopefully one can only whew, hope 2015 is the most important year in video gaming history because it is the year that the rise of cd project red was finally solidified um okay so we're gonna be closing up the show here quickly talk about what we're gonna be playing next week and then we'll close out the show uh, for me, going to be playing Sniper Elite 4, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, nailed it again, yes. Um, and uh, I don't know what it's else. It's not an accomplishment, Jared. For me personally, it is. Um, and then I don't know what else I'm going to be talking Oh, Nino Kuni, I'm going to be playing a bunch of that too because that game has its hooks in me really quickly. Um, so Continuing along your Ghibli adventure. Yes. Uh, so definitely going to be hopping into those. That's it for me. What about you guys? I'm going to keep playing Dishonored, which I love it, and I want to get through this DLC, but I'm, like, reluctantly playing it as I wait for uh, Horizon. On the Horizon. And, and then, uh, yeah. exactly. And then uh, more Child of Light, too. So, Ooh, baby. Jordan? So I am, of course, going to be playing a bunch more Neo, probably some more Gravity Rush as well. And then I am going to be playing a little game that I've been hearing a lot about, and I decided I just had to pick it up. It's called 2064 Read Only Memories, and it is a... I hope you're not a Trump game. fan. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, so what he's referring <laughs> to is that uh, the developers of this game were basically like, if you voted for Trump, fuck off and don't play our game. Which, oh, that's these guys? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny. You know, I thought it was funny, too. That's whatever, but... Um, but basically, you know, we've been talking a lot recently about the cyberpunk genre, and um, unfortunately, we might have lost a uh, pillar of the cyberpunk genre with Deus Ex uh, possibly going into hiatus as a franchise. But uh, this is a uh, cyberpunk adventure game on PS4, and uh, hearing a lot of good things, so deciding to check it out, and of course, keep that cyberpunk vibe alive. So, Logan, besides uh, immediately rushing to Final Fantasy after we're done, what else are you going to be playing? <laughs> um, I should probably just stick exclusively to that, honestly. Um, I, I do need to... I, I have no idea how I'm going to go about Horizon and Zelda in the same week. And if I have a JRPG on t- hanging over me as well. Especially, like, I would assume that I'd be getting close to probably finishing it around that time. So if I have, like, the end of that game hanging over my head, that's going to be really bothersome. Uh, so, yeah, need to finish up Final Fantasy fifteen. But besides that, the one thing I have been really wanting to go back to, uh, which I stopped probably a quarter of the third way into, was Pokemon Sun. I oh. love Pokemon, and I just, for some reason, I was playing the snot out of the game when it first released, and then I just totally forgot about it. So... As far as mobile stuff goes, I definitely want to finish that up at some point, and maybe I'll do that this next week. Awesome. So that's everything we're going to be playing. Uh, Logan, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I am at moreman 12 um, As Jared mentioned earlier in the show, I have my own podcast, which is called Millennial Gaming Speak, that I co-host with my buddy Max Roberts. Um, you can find us on iTunes or YouTube or SoundCloud. Just search Millennial Gaming Speak. It should come up. We're about... 80 episodes into the podcast and go back and listen to that one that we did with Jared because I think it was a pretty good episode. Oh, and if you're interested in any written work of mine, you can go read Dual Shockers because they put up a bunch of stuff over there. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go give them a follow. Uh, I I had a good time on his podcast. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to meet his co-host, but maybe someday I'll be back and I'll be able to meet him. But yeah, just in the words of Michael Huber, jolly vibes over at Millennial Gaming Speak. <laughs> jolly vibes. Um yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for listening or watching episode 46 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. You guys can follow us individually. I'm at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos. And Jordan is at Mellow Modus. Uh, you can follow our group Twitter at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. That's Controlled Interest abbreviated. Uh, the easiest way to find us is just go to controlledinterest.com. Uh, we have reviews up. Dom recently put up his review for Urban Empire, which is a political strategy game. Is that the appropriate genre, would you say, Dom? Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. Uh, yeah, he gave it a he gave it a, a decent score. It's an interesting read. So if you're most people aren't familiar with Urban Empire, it's an interesting game. Uh, it might not be the best game, but it is in its own kind of genre. So that's interesting. If you're if you're into politics and stuff, definitely give that review a read. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for listening or watching. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you again, Logan, for joining us. And uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.